from both sides of that coin throughout my career. So where I've seen opportunity where nobody else has seen it and I'm like, you just don't see it. And then in other cases where I see problems with a business that the entrepreneur thinks I'm not, you know, the things don't affect the business. And in some cases they're right, in some cases I'm right. Balancing out, it's a very, very difficult process to extract yourself and logically ask yourself the question, am I being honest with myself? And it's very easy to emotion together. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's show. This is part two of our interview with Carl Elmar. If you didn't catch part one, please go back and hear about the businesses he's co-founded, Clearview Networks, Shine Export Finance, his time over at DigitalOcean from 10 employees to now they're publicly traded at 10 billion and uh, the 750 million raised at, at M13, their venture fund. Carl, I think I want to maybe jump into those second two for a minute, maybe as a, a jumping off place. Can you tell us some of your biggest discoveries that maybe aren't obvious to outsiders of going from, you know, 10 people to the business that eventually gets valued at 10 billion? Yeah, I think the amazing thing about DigitalOcean is that it really all came from the work done at the very beginning. DigitalOcean was all about building a machine, kicking that machine off with momentum, and then just feeding the momentum. And it's really interesting since all the founders and I ultimately left the business and kind of handed it over to, to the IPO team, let's call them. We, we continued to see the, the performance and the growth of the business really being driven by that core machine that was built years earlier. And it's just really gratifying even to this day to kind of look at the breakdown of revenue, understand how it's growing, and just have a fundamental understanding of what is driving that growth and the work that we did to do that. So I, I don't think every business in the world has the has the mechanism to create a machine like that, but, but it's been such a joy to be a part of it. And you're kind of chasing the business rather than the business, you know, drive, you know, you don't have to drive the business as much as you're just chasing to keep up and make sure that, you know, everything's in line and everything's working and you're not just shooting yourself in the foot with growth. But it, it was a real joy to see the brand evolve and, and just the excitement of, of what we were delivering to the market. You know, I think one of my favorite interviews of the 650 episodes on the show here was Richard Koch. He wrote the 80-20 principle. He was a BCG guy who went to Bain and then started LEK and then became a venture investor from there and, you know, turns it tens of millions into hundreds of millions plus, right? And yeah. the way he talks about this idea of like, you know, yes, you need to execute things correctly, but if you're executing the wrong idea, you, you just, you can't make up for the wrong idea with execution. Can you talk about what you, like, what was that value that you guys were offering that, that, Maybe not everybody, not all the other competitors figured out. Yeah, everyone followed, but being the first to realize this um, was really the, the the secret to kind of the momentum and the build. What DigitalOcean really just really kind of pushed on was this whole idea that historically, where CTOs and COOs and CFOs were making decisions on infrastructure, ultimately it was going to be the developer. 
ultimately this whole industry was getting democratized cloud was creating the opportunities to for accessibility and for these small burgeoning ideas and concepts to become the forefront of of the new businesses of the future and so with that in mind we just built a whole business around a very different customer so we were oriented around the idea that a small group of developers that may not have like the deep operational sensibility may not have the deep finance sensibility you know are not necessarily cto level and heavy infrastructure and sorry architecture like gurus but are just fundamentally building a core business off of technology how are they going to make a decision and how how are we going to be able to get the infrastructure out of their way so that they can effectively execute on what they're building and we we really built everything from the simplicity of how the platform launched simplicity of the products uh, on the platform we talk about the 80 20 rule right it's you know 80 percent of the audience only really wants 20 percent of the products so how do we keep that simple how do we keep the pricing simple so it's easy to understand and people don't get shocked sticker shocked by these crazy bills that they can't even decipher how do you put that all together in a way that someone comes onto a platform spins up their first droplet as we call it and within 55 seconds they are now up and running as a business and they just have this huge sigh of relief and when that happened the first few times you know that reverberated and then developers started saying this is the way that we want to use cloud since then everybody has tried to simplify everybody has tried to go the other way but we were in you have to remember back in 2013 we launched in january 2013 the first product i joined the company in march so 2012 2013 we were in a sea of high complexity infrastructure solutions like amazon was the only real cloud but it was really built for organizations and built in a much more complex way and even they have made an attempt obviously it's more difficult for them because of their size but they've made an attempt to simplify since they've seen the adoption of what you know a company like DigitalOcean has been able to do. So that's really the unlock, the just understanding the customer in a different way. Yeah. You know, my, my question there is, I wonder if you have any guidance on like the decision tree for whether entrepreneur, you know, entrepreneurs building business or building a fund, you know, fund managers, anything here. When you think about, I think about it like a balance beam and you can feel free to disagree with me, but it feels like it's so easy when it's your idea to think, oh no, this is, this is the thing, <laughs> right? And the, the balance beam between the balance beam between listening to the right people about your blind spots versus ignoring the people who don't have your vision. I'm, I'm interested if you have any guidance for how to navigate that balance beam. That's a really, really interesting question. And it is a challenge that I think I have faced from both sides of that coin throughout my career. So where I've seen opportunity where nobody else has seen it and I'm like, you just don't see it. And then in other cases where I see problems with a business that the entrepreneur thinks are not, you know, things don't affect the business. And in some cases they're right. In some cases I'm right. Balancing out it's a very, very difficult process to extract yourself and logically ask yourself the question, am I being honest with myself? And it's very easy to emotionally get pulled into a direction. And even from an investing standpoint, you know, I've gone and invested into companies where I've seen a vision of my own for the company 
that it turns out was not the vision the founder was seeing. And ultimately the founder built a different business and what I thought was going to be successful didn't work because it wasn't the business that I thought it was going to be. And so, you know, just implanting your idea emotionally into whatever decision you're making is very, very difficult. So I think it's the first thing is, as I said, around one of my first learnings is surrounding yourself with the right people. Make sure that you have people that you look up to, that you respect, people who have opinions that, that matter to you and run, use them as a red team, run ideas by them. I mean, if literally 100% of everybody you talk to tells you that you're an idiot, then maybe there's some truth in that. But if you know half the people don't get it, but half the people do get it, then maybe you've identified who your target audience is, who your early adopters are. And maybe you say, you know what, these people get it, you will get it soon, but it's not ready for you yet. You know, we need the early adopters first. So I think it's, it's just getting, it's just like user testing. It's kind of going out there and getting trusted minds to opine on, on the ideas and the concepts you have, but really not being emotional about it. Often what I do find also is founders will go and pitch their ideas, but they'll pitch them such strength and such emotion that you know, as a, as an opposing party, you don't really want to say anything, but you don't want to hurt their feelings. So you have to create an environment where it's very safe for the person you're talking to, to just be honest with you. And if they don't get it, that's fine. Maybe they just don't get it. Maybe they're wrong, but at least you now are beginning to see how other people are seeing it. What I find more often than not is if you, if these are good people, like if you've actually found the right people to ask, then even if they don't agree or don't like your idea, they'll give you some valid reasons that you may have may not have considered. So it's worth taking those reasons and then considering them and figuring out, is there an iteration here or do I have to go a different direction or is this just completely make no sense? Or maybe, you know, the iterations are just saying your business is great, but this is how it could be better. And so I think though the combination of those with a, with a steady and calm mind and a non-emotional look at things, I think gives you a much better perspective. And, and trust me, I've had plenty of ideas shot down that have turned out to be terrible ideas that luckily I didn't pursue too heavily. And I've had some great ideas that I thought would be great and I've moved away from them and then somebody else went and built it and it was great. <laughs> and so, you know, you're never get, you're not going to be right hundred percent of the time, but the point is once you do land on that one thing, there's only so many businesses any one person can build in their lifetime, you know, make sure you're committing your time and your effort to something that you truly are hundred percent passionate, committed to believe in all those good things. You know, I have certainly been guilty of being the overly passionate entrepreneur, feeling so wholeheartedly in my vision. Right. And I feel like, I feel like, you know, even though most of my businesses in the last 20 years were total failures, the couple made a lot of money and those ones were because of pushing ahead when not everyone saw it, you know, and yet there's so many of the failures that were that were the arrogance of not listening at all, you know? And so I can get really gun shy now on the like, the like not trusting in my own vision sometimes of like, well, you made such big mistakes ignoring people before, Jess, you know? So like, it's been an interesting thing for me to try to navigate that. And I think my question for you is, do you have anything that helps you become more objective about your own ideas? Are there, are there tricks? Are there techniques? Are there processes that have helped you to be a little bit more, a little bit less emotional, a little bit more objective when you're trying to make. I definitely don't overattach myself. I used to definitely. And, and I think there is a time for the passion, by the way, I think, you know, 
passionate entrepreneur walking into our office asking for funding is a lot more impactful than somebody who's just blase and doesn't really care about their idea. So passion plays a big part in success. So when the time is right, you know, pour on the passion. I would not hold that back. But I think an early, early stage of not detachment, but just taking yourself out of your body um, is a very, very important thing to practice and just to be sure of. Don't commit yourself wholeheartedly until you've really thought it through and make sure you've really thought it through. What I also found is that in my career, as I'm juggling between different ideas, I usually have more than one idea on it. I, I try and avoid a situation where I've got like, there's this one thing and there's nothing else and that's the only thing. Until you've baked it and you actually understand what you want to do and you, you've actually validated that this is where I want to commit myself. It's, I think, the creativity of just having different ideas and thoughts going through your head. The reality is, if I like an idea, but then suddenly I'm distracted by three, four other ideas, that first idea wasn't as amazing and you know didn't drive my passion the way that maybe I thought it would. But if I have one idea and I'm thinking three, four, five other things and all of them fall to the wayside because this one idea is just turning out to be so strong, then that idea is beginning to prove itself in my in my decision tree, in my kind of construct of, of where I want to spend my time and commit my time. And the, I guess the last thing I'd say is something you've definitely learned in your career is time is the most important thing that any of us have, right? And the amount of time that you commit to something is the biggest commitment you're going to make in your professional career. And so if you say, this is the idea and I'm going to go after it, you're potentially committing years of your life to this thing. It's very important to understand the level of commitment you're making and make sure that you are you are making it with a very steady mind and, and you understand the ramifications of stripping all other things away and saying, this is my 100% focus. And so I just think that understanding the, you know, the importance of that decision, I think also gives you some, some pause to think about, okay, let me make sure I'm doing it the right way. Let me just throw one more thing in there. Indecision is the biggest source of failure as well. So, you know, I'm kind of preaching all this caution and all this hesitancy, but at the end of the day, if you're indecisive, I've seen people float on an idea for years, not do anything with it. And then suddenly some other person comes out and builds the same business and it's, it's a huge success. And they're like, well, I've had that idea five years ago. Indecision is the enemy. So on one side, you've got this caution. On the other side, you've got this risk of indecision. And you got to find that middle point where, you, where you're ready and able to make the right commitments at the right time, just with enough information to make sure that you're you're not doing something stupid, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh, that's great advice. I feel like we need to like we need to transcribe this session and just have it typed up and we'll turn it into like an ebook. <laughs> I feel like I need to talk to like sit slowly. I need to sit slowly with these and like ask myself, you know, when I've got some quiet time alone and the phones on airplane mode, you know, to like really have the hard look in the mirror at these things. Well, let's talk about M13 for a minute. You know, now you're on the other side of the funding table, right? What are some of the, what are some of the things that maybe you didn't expect? Because you've obviously been highly successful in business for, for years by the time you, you join these guys and you've got so much experience, but it's also a new experience. What, what's been interesting for you or what's a discovery you've yeah. made since, you since know, moving to the other side? Deep you take for granted the things that you're you're naturally good at when you're judging other people's businesses because you think those things are easy like that's not a problem they'll overcome that 
And you, you, you know, I found myself looking at a lot of businesses from the lens of if I was running this, what would I, how would I run it and what would I do? And as I said before, you know, I've gone into a couple of investments where I'm like, oh, this is what you're building. That sounds amazing. Look what you can go here with it. You can do that with it. You can end them getting yes, yes, yes from the other side. And then I make an investment and then I realize, wait a minute, they don't think that way. They don't, it's not going to go that way. It's not going to, you know, do any of the things that, that I thought it was going to do. And those things don't turn out to be the types of investments that, that I was originally excited about. And so I think what that's taught me is it's taught me a few things. First of all, it's taught me to really know the founders I'm working with. In the same way as you're making a decision on starting a business, making a decision on making an investment is a commitment of years of time and a years of passionate like engagement. Like there's no point investing anything that you can't be passionately engaged with because then it's just a money transaction and that's not really that interesting. So, you know, get to know the people you're, you're getting involved with and make sure that they actually culturally align with you and that you guys can have honest conversations about the hard things and, and they understand how you can help and you can, you understand how they want your help or don't want your help. And so I think that's really, really important is spending more and more time getting to know those founders. It's become a real key point. And then the other key point that I've figured out is, you know, my tendencies are two, twofold. One being incredibly creative about solutions of how to solve problems. Like I always think outside the box and I always like, I'll see a problem, like that's not a problem. You can fix it like this. And like you kind of go around corners to do things and figure out ways to get things done. And a lot of entrepreneurs have that, but a lot don't have that. And the other piece is my kind of really tight diligence on the operational like details, because obviously having run operations at DigitalOcean, that was all about the details. So when I go into a business, I found myself saying, I understand how you solve this problem, even if the founders don't. And then I also start thinking about all the little details of how to get from here to there, which again, the founders may not have figured out. And so that's where I have to, I found myself having to be careful to kind of let them talk more, let them drive more and just be more a sounding board and a mentor and an advisor and less trying to drive the solution, which I think in the early investments I was making, I felt like that was more my responsibility. And I found a real harmony now. <clears throat> I'm working with incredible portfolio founders that I think are amazing. Every one of them is just incredibly inspiring and everyone has incredible potential. And they lean on me in the best way that they can lean on me in the areas where I can be really helpful to them, but I'm not expecting them to do things exactly the way that I would do them. So it's kind of a balance between the two. And mandate wise, what, what are you guys investing in at M13 or, or the ones that, you know, the investments that maybe you lead? What, what sectors are of most interest for you? We're basically focused on what we call consumer tech. The way we think about it is the technologies that are driving consumer behavior over the next 10 years. And so we think about where technology is going. We think about Web 3.0 and crypto, that effect on the market. We think about, you know... The impact of voice in recent years, we, we think about a lot of the different technologies, a lot of different ways people are solving problems and the ways people are changing the way they live. For me personally, that relates to specifically the areas of fintech. I dabble a little bit in crypto. I'd say my partner, Latif, is much more heavily involved in crypto, but I participate with him on a number of crypto deals. I, I, prop tech is an area that I focused on quite a bit but also very heavily in workplace improvement, SaaS, things that relate to kind of this idea of providing services to a wide 
you know, wide range of different people, wide population. And so those, those are probably the main areas I've, I've focused on in, in what I'm doing, main area where I have kind of a lot of business activity. And, and what kind of bite size, what kind of checks are you guys typically writing? Yeah, we have um, kind of two forms of, of check. We have our core checks, which are five to $15 million, generally series A, we like to, and then we have these discovery checks that we do when we really are inspired by a business, but we don't think it's quite ready. So maybe it's a seed level investment. Uh, we'll do that like one to four million dollar range. So those are those are the types of sizes we make investments on right now. And if people are trying to reach out to you, is that best through the M13 website for that? Yeah, they can reach There's me through M13 entrepreneurs website. listening today. Yeah, I would still say LinkedIn is M- probably M13.co. Yes, M13.co uh, is a good way to reach us. Got a list on the partner page. You got all the partners in there, so I'm listed in there. Obviously, LinkedIn is probably still the easiest way to reach out to me directly, and probably where I post okay. most of my my activity. But we do have blog and a founder resources section where we post a lot of our kind of experience and knowledge and kind of guides on the way to do different things, you know, within the entrepreneurial landscape. Well, this is exciting. I have really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks for making time for this today. No problem. Thank you so much. Sorry for almost dying on you halfway through there, but we got through. <laughs> <laughs> I had to pull out my dumb and dumber quote. Well, congrats on all the success. And and again, this was a really fun conversation for me. So thanks again. All right. I appreciate it, Jess. Thank you so much. Bye, everyone.